So glad to have you with us today. Uh, we've been finishing up a, a series on heaven, and we talked a lot about heaven and how wondrous it's going to be. But we're not there yet, and so we're looking at a couple weeks here at what does Jesus want us to do as we wait for heaven, as we wait for the glories of the life to come. Jesus has ascended. He's uh, gone to be with the Father. He's at the Father's right hand. But he said, I will come back for you. And he is coming back. And as we wait for Jesus to come back, he tells us a lot in this passage about what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live as we wait for him to come. And the main point, the big idea that Jesus communicates here is he wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of worrying about earthly matters, he wants us to be concerned about heavenly matters. He wants us to store up treasures for heaven and to be rich toward God. But to do that, we have to stop living in worry, anxiety, and fear. Because worry will keep our mind and our heart anchored to earthly pursuits and protections and concerns. And this scripture passage, honestly, is usually taught simply as a solution to the problem of anxiety. And, of course, it is that. There's a lot of things in here that give us uh, solutions to our tendency to worry and fear. But to say, or just say, don't worry, God will take care of you, doesn't get to the root of our problem with fear and anxiety. The root cause of worry is our heart's attachment to the kingdom of this world. Anxiety festers, thrives, and grows in us when the kingdom of the world dominates our goals, plans, dreams, and desires. Or to put it another way, worry is empowered by having our hearts attached on earth, not heaven. Worry fills our heart because something on earth has mastery over us instead of God. And that keeps us from our main life goal as followers of Jesus, which is to seek first the kingdom of God. It is really only when our heart becomes firmly attached to God's kingdom that the power of present things to make, make us anxious is broken. Living for kingdom matters looses us from worldly cares and gives us peace. So Christ's fundamental answer to fear and anxiety is to seek first the kingdom of God. He said, do not worry about your life. Instead, seek the Father's kingdom. Start living for God's kingdom, and God will take care of you. Change what you seek, love, and care for, and worry, fear, and anxiety will no longer have dominion over you. Live for and care about God's things, God's kingdom. Focus on being rich toward God. You know, people turn to all kinds of resources to try to get rid of anxiety, fear, and worry. But there is no use trying to solve our anxieties apart 
from God's medicine for our souls. C.S. Lewis said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God with which, or which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is that God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. It is just no good asking God to make me happy in my own way. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. In the same way, there is no fundamental lasting answer to anxiety, fear, and worry apart from attaching our hearts to God and to his kingdom instead of the kingdom of this world. So when Jesus uh, begins to teach on anxiety in verse 22, he began with an important word, therefore, therefore, I tell you not to be anxious about your life. The word therefore means that we are commanded not to be anxious because of something Jesus said right before this. And right before this, Jesus warned against coveting things, against thinking that life is found in personal peace and prosperity. He told a story about a man who gained a lot of riches for himself, but when God took his life, he lost everything. He was flat broke in terms of heavenly wealth. He was going to stand before God that night with absolutely nothing. And Jesus said, life will end in spiritual tragedy for everyone like this man who is not rich toward God. Jesus moved from that story to, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So why did he move from that story to warning against anxiety? Because worry about our lives and our stuff leads to eagerly pursuing earthly goals and things and excessive pursuit of what we have, what we will wear, what we'll eat, our safety, our needs, our security inevitably lead to a failure to, vote, to devote ourselves to becoming rich toward God and to seeking first His kingdom. Let's go back and we'll start at the beginning of verse 13. A man in the crowd interrupts Jesus and he wants Jesus to settle a dispute with his brother about the family inheritance. Jesus had just been speaking, it's not in this passage, but just before this, Jesus had been speaking in the most shocking terms about heaven and hell and about fearing God more than man because God can throw both body and soul into hell. And yet this very sobering discourse by Jesus makes no impact on this man whatsoever. In another place, Jesus said, the worries of the world choke the word in our lives. And this man is proof of that. He is so obsessed with his concern about the family inheritance that he really can't hear a thing Jesus said. So he blurts out in the middle of Jesus' 
message, and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He apparently feels that he's been cheated out of his inheritance. His brother got his parents' money or land, and he won't split it with him. So this man calls out to Jesus to step in and help him get his fair share. Now, Jesus could have sympathized with him over this injustice, and maybe he did, he could have, but he could have sympathized to the point of saying, hey, I agree with you, your brother is a jerk, you got a raw deal, and you have a right to be really mad. Or Jesus could have said, hey, bring your brother here and let this, let's get this thing settled. Or Jesus could have said, hey, don't get mad, get even, go hire a lawyer and go after him. But Jesus didn't do any of these things. Instead, he said to the man and to the entire crowd, and remember uh, from the context, Luke said that there were so many thousands gathered here to listen to Jesus that they were trampling one another. So this is a big crowd. And Jesus said to the man and to this entire crowd, watch out. The ESV says beware but, or, or uh, be, uh, take care. Other versions say, uh, beware or watch out. It's a strong exhortation. Watch out and be on your guard against all covetousness. The man had cried out, I want justice. I want my money. I want what I believe is due me. But Jesus heard the real cry of his heart, which was, I want my earthly things, and it's tearing me apart inside. So instead of settling their financial dispute, Jesus said that wasn't the assignment he had from God. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In essence, I believe Jesus was saying, God didn't appoint me to be your judge in this matter. I'm here to heal your soul. I'm here to fix what is really wrong with you on the inside. Be on guard against all covetousness because Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, even if he does have a lot. So getting this inheritance is not going to give you life. It will not give you peace. It will not really solve your financial worries. You're fighting for it because you think it will, but it won't. This man might have had a just complaint. He, he actually might have been right about this matter of the inheritance. But the issue is while he is concerned about getting what he felt was rightfully his, he is completely distracted from seeking the riches that come from God. He is completely distracted from seeking first the kingdom of God. So Jesus moved on to tell this man, and of course the whole crowd, a story. In verse 16 and 17, he said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store all of this. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. He hasn't done this yet, but he's speaking to himself. His self-talk is, This is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my life goal. This is going to be my life purpose. This is his life dream. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have 
plenty of good things now, laid up for many years. He thinks, hey, I've got all the good things that money can buy for the rest of my life. He thinks he will be financially secure and safe for decades. But he made one massive error. He lived for himself. He stored up these things, it says, for himself. And he was not rich toward God. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He's a fool because he had laid up nothing for the life that really matters. He had laid up nothing for the life to come. He had laid up nothing for eternity. And Jesus said then in verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone or with everyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be for people focused on themselves and on their own matters, not kingdom of God matters. But what is it that drives us to live life like this man with, with such a priority on earthly affairs, with such, such, such a, an obsession with uh, gaining things and protecting ourselves and our future? What is it? Well, it can, it can be greed. It can be pride. It can be like John called the boastful pride of life, just wanting to have more and show off. But often it is worry and anxiety that drives this priority. The fear-driven desire to protect ourselves against all possible needs, that fear-driven desire sets our mind on things of earth. And this man's goal was, his goal, he says, was to get to the point where I can say, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. He wanted to be at that place where he just felt like he had good things coming at him and stored up forever. His life goal was to have a hedge against lacking anything. But guarding against lack is not a worthy life goal. Yet that can so easily become the dominating, secret, subtle principle of our lives. But Jesus said that that fear-driven, self-protection, self-provision, that kind of purpose in life will result in spiritual poverty and disaster when God requires your life at the end of your days. So, Jesus said, after telling this story, He said, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus wants us to be free from worry. And I could put a period right there. Jesus does want you and I to be free from worry. Worry is no fun. It's a terrible thing. But Jesus wants us to be free from worry in order to be free to go live for God and to not be in bondage to the present things of this earth. And Jesus stated this as a command. Do not 
worry about your life. I'm afraid many people check out right here and immediately protest, well, but I just can't help it, or that just doesn't work to me, work for me to just say, do not worry. That just doesn't work for me. But that attitude really, if you stop and think about it, that attitude is really accusing Jesus of either being foolish about our human makeup. In other words, he doesn't really, he doesn't really know us or understand us and how we function. He's kind of, kind of ignorant of, of, of how our minds work. It's really accusing Jesus of being foolish about our human makeup or just plain wrong to make this demand of, of us. So the first thing that we need to do is to acknowledge Jesus' authority over our right to worry. Do not worry about your life. It's the first thing Jesus tells us. Then Jesus gave us several reasons to not worry and these are such a blessing. I, I trust and pray that by the power of the Spirit, they will sink into your hearts, become part of the way that you think about your life and about yourself and about God. First, material things are not your life. Even if a man has a lot, his possessions do not uh, make his life. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And even when a man has a lot. His life does not consist of his possessions. Many of our anxieties, not all, not all, but many of our anxieties have to do with either getting or keeping earthly possessions or material things. But Jesus said, our things our possessions do not make us anything. Your life does not consist of that. So simply to have plenty of food and clothes and all kinds of things does nothing to prepare you for eternal life. And it, it, it also does nothing to make you truly well and whole and happy now either. Paul told Timothy, take hold of that which is life indeed. Like the name of our church, take hold of real life. Uh, the abundant life Jesus promised was not a life abounding in possessions. It was, it was a life united with God. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a well of water within you springing up to eternal life. That's life. Your life is not what you have, but what is going on in your heart. It is life inside you. You know, even as Paul, the Apostle Paul, aged and his body was worn down by being stoned and beaten, he said, our outer man is decaying, but our inner man is is being renewed day by day. On the inside of me, he's saying, it's just getting better and better. The older I get, the more stuff I go through, I'm just being renewed day by day. 
in the inside. And that's, and that's what matters, being right with God, being filled with the Spirit, having the joy of the Lord fill your heart. That is life. That is true life. Second reason not to worry, and this, I would say, is probably the main one. You have a heavenly Father who cares for you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you set your mind on that when worries or concerns well up within you? You can say no, no to that worry. I have a heavenly Father who cares for me. Sam Storms uh, said that most of the people sitting in my church each Sunday morning do not believe that God is big enough to deal with their personal problems. My job every Sunday is to show them that he is. And I think Jesus felt that same way with his disciples. He was seeking here to show them God is big enough to take care of you guys. Verse 24, he told them, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? That's what Jesus said. Birds don't plant crops. They don't harvest. They don't have barns. They don't have huge, massive savings accounts. And yet they always have food. And Jesus' point is if the Father sees that the birds are cared for, He certainly will take care of you. You are of infinitely more value than the birds to God. He does value them, but He values you infinitely more. Verse 27, keeping with uh, the same thought, he said, Jesus said, Then also consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field which are here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Lilies don't work long and hard spinning fabrics to make clothes for themselves, yet they're dressed better than King Solomon. And if God gives the plants of the field such beauty, even though they last only one day, how much more will he see that you have clothes? But not clothes only. You know, as the Apostle Paul said, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He will see all of your needs are met. And then Jesus adds this little tack on at the end, O you of little faith. Now for us to accuse somebody of that might, might be out of place or might come across too much like an insult, but Jesus is talking to them like little children and he says, O you of little faith. Worrying about our life is lack of faith. Anxiety, being filled with anxiety and fear. We just have to face it. It is smallness of faith. And we have to face that honestly. We may have been a Christian for a long time. But our level of trust, our level of real trust in God may be quite small. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way. We should be 
growing daily in trusting God. Do not let your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And Jesus in another place commands us, have faith in God. Growing in faith, having our faith become stronger, greater, is a really important life goal. It's a much more important life goal than gaining more and more things. The author of Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, we shouldn't just settle for living our lives with little faith or being people of little faith. We should seek earnestly to grow and develop and strengthen our faith. Have faith in God. And then in verse 30, Jesus said, your father knows that you need these things. Obviously, he's talking about material things. He says, God knows. Your father knows that you need these things. We shouldn't stress out about our needs because our father cares for us. And he, he not only cares for us, he's knowledgeable, he's wise, he knows what we need, when we need it, and how much we need. We are not walking around as unknown forgotten people. God sees. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows what you have. He knows what you need. And He cares. Jesus said, your heavenly Father cares for you. And in verse 32, Jesus said, not, not only does God care, not only does He know you and know what you need, Jesus said, God is pleased to take care of you. God likes to take care of you. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If God's pleased to give you the kingdom of heaven, He is pleased to care for your needs here on your, on your journey through this world. But the point is, trust God because He delights in taking care of you. What a, what a wonderful thing to have a father who watches over us like that, that not only cares for us, but he actually just delights in taking care of us. Praise his name. Third, you should not worry because worry doesn't do anything beneficial for you. Verse 25, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life or to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Or why are you anxious about everything else? Jesus was simply saying that worry is totally futile. It does no good. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't make the problem go away. It doesn't, certainly doesn't make you live longer. Uh, actually, it'll do just the opposite. It'll make you live a shorter life. It doesn't add to your happiness. All it does is ruin the present moment. So Jesus simply asks, so why are you anxious? So why are you anxious? Considering that it does no good, why are you anxious? The fourth reason not to worry is because worry, living in worry, fear, and anxiety is living like the pagans. Uh, verse 29 and 30 
And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. All the nations of the world seek after these things. The NIV says, for the pagan world runs after all such things. That's clearly the idea here. That is what the ungodly, unbelieving, Gentile nations of the world do. They run after these things and they worry about these things. So, Jesus says that's, that's, a, that's a worldly activity. It's a pagan activity. Uh, I read a, a, a book by a guy who called it the heathenism of, of worry. We need to see worry as ungodly and repent and turn from it. George Mueller said, I would no more worry than I would blaspheme the name of our Savior. That, that would be a good attitude to adopt, wouldn't it? I would no more worry than I would blaspheme the name of my Savior. So we're given all these uh, reasons and I'll say helps to alleviate our anxieties and cares and worries. But Jesus is not only concerned that we stop worrying. He is, but He's not only concerned that we stop worrying. And if we come away from this morning only thinking, I should stop worrying as much, then I think we've missed the main point. We are to replace worry with something else. We're to replace worry with seeking God's kingdom. Verse 31, do not worry like the pagans. Instead, boy, that word instead is so important. Instead of worrying about your life, seek His kingdom. Don't do that. Do this. Don't worry. Seek God's kingdom. As I said earlier, guarding yourself against lack is not a worthy goal to live for. Here is what to live for. The kingdom of God. The things of God. Let those things matter to you. Let that be what you are interested in, concerned about, what you're eagerly pursuing with all of your heart. Finally, instead of worrying about our money and possessions, we uh, are told to aim at living in a way that sends treasure on ahead of us to heaven. Verse 33 and 34, sell your possessions and give to the needy. It's interesting, the context here, that here's a man who was just, had come up to Jesus and he was totally consumed about getting his rightful share of the inheritance. Totally consumed about getting what he thought was rightfully his. And Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. I mean, I mean, you know, instead of worrying about getting your inheritance, give your stuff away. Give it to some people who are more needy than you. Such, such an amazing way Jesus has to deal with the root issues in our heart, isn't it? 
Provide for yourself or provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we live primarily and passionately for our own things, our own security, our own protections, our own possessions, guess what? That's where your heart's going to be. It's, your heart is going to be like anchored to this world. This world is going to be like a lead weight on you. It's going to hold you in bondage. And Jesus points to giving things away as one of the key ways to move our treasure from earth to heaven. In another passage in Luke 16, 9, Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. Use what you do have in this world to bless other people. Make friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, well, when's, when's it going to be gone? It's going to be gone when you die. You take nothing with you or when Christ comes, we take nothing with us. And in that day, in that, in that future day in heaven, there will be people that you have blessed in this life that will be there to welcome you with joy into your heavenly dwelling. And that's just one of the ways that we move treasure from this life onto the next life. And Jesus says, that's what we're supposed to worry about. That's what we're supposed to be concerned about. That's supposed to be our, our passion, living life in such a way now that we're storing up riches toward God. Again, worry is essentially having our hearts attached to something, some problem, some need here on earth, and Jesus wants our hearts on heaven. He wants us to have riches. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be rich toward God. He wants you to have those riches that can never lose their value. He wants us to work for the food that doesn't perish, as he said in the Gospel of John. Or as Paul said, uh, we, are to, we labor for the crown. We run a race for a crown which is imperishable. That's where our heart is supposed to be. That's what our life goals, our life purpose is to be centered around. So, how does Jesus want you to live as you await for him to come back? He wants you to be anxiety-free, God-trusting, and kingdom-seeking. You know, that's, that's, what we're, that's what life is supposed to be about. And so if you're, if you're looking for a life motto, uh, that's, that's it right there. Be an anxiety-free, God-trusting kingdom seeker. That's what Jesus calls us to in this passage. Let's pray.